your pastor is a great pleasure to me. Uh, so is his brother. Both of them were in seminary. Uh, and uh, they put their heart into everything that they did. And I was very thankful for them. Operation Renewed Hope started 27 years ago. I have a video that I'm going to show to you. If uh, Are you folks ready? Good. Okay. It will tell you a lot more over the next three or four days. We're going to talk a lot about missions, but I want you to think about this. This is the main theme of everything we're doing. If the church in the United States does not maintain, there will be no missions around the world. Please remember that, okay? When mother is sick, the family suffers. Is that not true? Yeah, yeah. Believe me, I understand. So if you would, play the video. The worth of a Christian organization is defined by its faithfulness and dedication to preach the gospel of Christ. Jesus came to save. Yes, because Jesus saves. First John 2, 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It is the desire of Operation Renewed Hope to honor the biblical mandate that those who have trusted Christ walk in good works as ordained of God in order to fulfill the intent of Christ's salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. ORH purposed 25 years ago to reveal the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ through works, displaying to the world His mercy to all mankind. Since the beginning of ORH, evangelistic medical clinics, working with field missionaries, have been the foundation for honoring His saving grace. Both through domestic and foreign field clinics, the gospel has gone forth to tens of thousands of individuals who have attended the clinics. Missionaries testify what has been accomplished for the gospel of Christ. I've been working with Operation Renewed Home now since 2007, and we have seen God use the love shown in these medical clinics to open people's hearts to what really matters, and that's receiving Christ as a personal Savior. And when the people see our compassion and love, it just unlocks their hearts, and they just open their hearts to hear the Word of God, and many are receiving Christ. We've had 120 so far in just two days trust Christ in this area, and this is a difficult Khmer Rouge area. We've just finished a uh, week of medical clinic here with Operation Renewed Hope, and uh, I tell you, I, I, my heart, is, as tired as I am, my heart is just overflowing with joy, and I just praise the Lord. Uh, we have been able to uh, get the gospel uh, to over 1,000 people just this week, and uh, it's just been a tremendous blessing. We've been here four days. The first day, we saw 44 people saved. The second day, 95 people. The next day, 105. Uh, today, 76, 300.
has just been phenomenal. We probably could have had many more people saved if we would have just stayed open longer, but that was really almost impossible. Medical professionals and non-medical volunteers can confirm God's grace is extended to the world through the preaching which occurs at the clinics. You know, we get to show the love of Jesus and we get to show people their need for a savior. But what's exciting about ORH is they have it figured out. I mean, they do it in such a way that it's very well organized. The people are feeling like they're treated special and uh, then they hear a meaningful presentation of the gospel. I love um, how it opens the door. We get to see so many people and individually touch lives and help them medically. Um, as a nurse, that's very important. We get to come in and open the door and show them love and compassion medically, which opens the door to share about the love and compassion of Christ. One of the best ways is to, to soften a heart before giving the gospel is, is through compassion. And, and I know that's one of the things that's preached here quite often. I love the fact that each person that I meet is in a few minutes going to hear the gospel and it just brings great joy to me. So I love it. The acts of mercy which Jesus did inspired this statement. And let us not be weary in well-doing. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Since 1998, Operation Renewed Hope has sought to relieve the suffering of those who have encountered the hostile acts of a world captured in sin. Hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, famines, typhoons, cyclones, and other natural disasters have been opportunities for God to work through Operation Renewed Hope. Shipping needed relief goods through missionaries or mission organizations to hospitals, schools, churches. Rebuilding after massive destruction. Flying missions of mercy through Air Hope missions. Providing medical care in the worst of conditions. Securing emergency surgical care, blood transfusions, and hospital care for many in need. Feeding children and supporting children's home works. In over 40 nations, Operation Renewed Hope has launched and maintained efforts through churches and missionaries for the purposes of relieving suffering, preaching the gospel, and establishing and strengthening churches, always believing that God desires all men to be saved. Evangelists who have given their lives to preaching the gospel testify to the work of ORH. You know, I'm grateful for the friendship of Brother Jan Milton and for the Operation Renewed Hope and the impact this ministry has had upon lives of many people. A ministry of this caliber deserves our support and our prayers. And I pray that God will continue blessing this ministry as it endeavors to reach the lost for the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish that you could have been with us overseas, Brother Milton. I wish we could just transport the whole crowd. Wish you could have stood in one service on the island of Neos and seen about 500 people. And we preached a little simple gospel message and the majority of them 
responded to the gospel. We believe, according to what the nationals are telling us in five days, there have been well over 400 who have made public profession saying, I'm receiving Jesus. Every place where we have been, we have a good local church and a solid pastor, and they're excited. They're taking those cards. They will follow them up. And so that's what it's all about. The Savior's compassion for the suffering is an unparalleled example of God's amazing grace. As Matthew wrote in his gospel, Jesus looked out over the multitude stripped of human strength and was moved with compassion. It is that compassion that drives our ministry. Souls for Jesus has been and always will be the battle cry of those who work with Operation Renewed Hope because Jesus saves. here on a Wednesday night. Some of you were here and uh, I showed the video, but I thought it was important that you understand because some of you have never seen it, uh, that you understand that uh, missions, did you notice how everything you saw was inside a church? Uh, uh, It's amazing uh, what the church of God can do if it recognizes the power that is unused. Okay? Uh, there is power sitting every day that goes unused. Uh, it's surplus. And that's because we do not claim it because we never engage it. Until the church of God engages the world, the power of God will never be known. Because God works through His people, and in particular, the best I can tell after studying the Bible for, uh, man... I can't tell you how many years, over 40 years now. Uh, The church is his means of working in the world. And uh, it is through the church that people are uh, uh, established, they grow, and they go forth into ministry. But the church today sits idle. Uh, It is not engaging. And folks, we're in trouble. And if we don't do something... Uh, we're going to find ourselves a footnote in history. There was a group. This group one time did this. They were Bible believers. You say, well, the church will never uh, be taken off the earth. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. I didn't say that. I said the church. In other words, the local assembly of believers. Uh, Go to China. You'll find out what I'm talking about. Okay? Now... I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Now, uh, if you can understand clearly the Scriptures, you will see that there is a ministry for the church to have. And that will be my theme. I'm going to talk with you this week. And by the way, I promise you that if you come these next few nights, I will not bore you, okay? You will enjoy being here. I'm going to tell you some things that I think, uh, they're common things, but they've never been put together in this fashion as a general rule to help us see ourselves. The Bible is a mirror. Into that mirror we look and we see ourselves. 
This week, I'm hoping and I am praying that you will see the church as it really is. My pastor in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina this morning is bringing a state of the church address. Uh, and uh, he is talking about the health of the church. Every church has a, has a, a situation of its health. Now, I want you to look in 2 Corinthians with me because this is the kickoff. If the church is unhealthy, there are reasons. And if there was ever an unhealthy church, it was the church at Corinth. It was very sick. As a matter of fact, it was the poster child for every disease in the church that you can think of. Nobody in any church managed to be as unhealthy as this church was. All right? And as Paul was going through Corinth, he understood all of these problems, and thus he wrote 1 Corinthians. And by the way, he wrote 2 Corinthians because he had scolded them so much that they were mad at him. They were not happy with him at all. As a matter of fact, they made a lot of accusations against Paul. Because you see, he started off by telling them they were carnal. Now, it was not that they were uh, doing uh, terrible sin. You know, their carnality, divisions, that's carnal. That's not biblical. That's not Christ-like. And most churches have that kind of carnality. The divisions were divisions of pride. I am of Christ. I am of Paul. I am of Paulus. Paul said, I am just thankful I didn't baptize a one of you guys. He was not happy with them, and he told them so. Then he goes on talking about these divisions and goes to chapter 5 and says, there is a young man in your church and he is living with his mother in an incestuous situation and you're not ashamed of this. He says, you're puffed up about this. Now, don't separate from the world, separate from the unbelieving brother and from the sinning brother. Boy, that took him back. Uh, read 2 Corinthians, you'll find out that they, they actually went and took care of the situation. And Paul said, if you've forgiven, I forgive. Okay? Uh, and then he moves into the fact that they had a misunderstanding in the church about the role of leadership. You know, Paul had to teach them that men lead the church. Uh, all over this country, women are leading churches. Did you know that? Now, I don't care what happens out in the world. They can do whatever they want to. They can have all the Nancy Pelosi's they can handle, you know? Oh, by the way, have you ever gone up and down? Is it Pinemont? Is that the name of the street? There are more walls than you can count. It's unbelievable on that thing. I thought, good night. I'm driving between two corridors here. What's on that side? But in the church, it is the men. Now, men... I don't, I don't spare you in this matter. If you are not leading, you are hindering. Your wife will have to pick up your role. And I've seen it a thousand times. I've pastored for years and years and years. And in a home where a mother has to pick up the role of the husband, the children suffer greatly. Don't you doubt it. Especially the boys. Now, I have a strong wife. Thank God for that. Aren't you glad you got a strong wife? I mean, she can do anything. You got a strong wife? Yeah, yeah. 
and I give her her head. I don't argue with her. I learned it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. My best words are, yes, ma'am. But I tell you what, in the home, everybody knows who's in control. No question about that. I told my wife, I said, now I've got three boys. I'll rear my boys. They'll love you, and everything will be wonderful. In the church, gentlemen, Paul says the men are supposed to lead, the women are supposed to be in submission. Nobody likes that nowadays. That's life, okay? But in the church, that's the way it is. The reason the church doesn't like it is because the men do not assume their role. Your wife should not have to get you up in the morning and go to church. You should get up and say, come on, folks, we're going to church. Your children should never question what happens on Sunday morning. Did you know that? My wife feels good because she can say, oh, I know what he's going to do. He'll be in church on Sunday. They didn't like that. We don't like it today. Then they had a trouble with the Lord's Supper. They had messed up. Nobody can mess up the Lord's Supper. They did. They had turned it into a feast. The poor had nothing, and the rich brought sumptuously to the table of the Lord and ate with great grandeur, but not the poor. And Paul said, you don't understand. By the way, most of the time whenever you do the Lord's Supper, you're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, aren't you? Why? Because he says, now this is the way it ought to be done, and thus we read from it. Uh, uh, chapter 12, thir- most infamous chapter 13, the love chapter. This church didn't even know about the resurrection of the Lord. Nor did they understand the more perfect way, chapter 13. And I could just keep going. They were the poster children of how not to do it. So in 2 Corinthians, after he's been run over pretty good, Paul says, now wait a minute, wait a minute guys. Let's kind of get this thing back in perspective here. And so he begins to give some answers to try to make amends with them. Because he had so much to make right in the first place because the church was so wrong. Okay? But there's one thing he did not apologize for, and that was his ministry. Did you know that? He said, this is a ministry from God. It was given to me by God. And he reestablishes, and that leads us up all the way to chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Because in chapter 5, he begins an intense defense of the fact that his ministry is from God. And that they have no right to judge it. God knows him, according to this chapter. He's transparent, and they should know him. Now, folks, I want to tell you, Brother Will, God knows him, and you should know him. His desire is of the Lord. He loves the Lord, and he's trying his best to help you. Now, every now and then, he's going to have to correct. That's the job of a pastor. Nothing you can do about it. Everybody gets mad at the pastor, and it's tough, okay? It's tougher on the pastor than you can ever imagine. Did you know pastors don't leave churches because of money? They'll work a second job if you'll work with them. You know why pastors leave churches? They leave churches because of the fact that the people will not follow. 
the people will not assume the right role. And the church gets very sick. They think, it's like the little kid who refuses to take his medicine. Oh, I don't want the medicine. And so you have to hold him down and pour it down his throat. Why? Because he needs it. And here Paul begins in verse 11 through 21. By the way, two of the most famous verses in the Bible. If a man uh, is new, he's new in Christ Jesus, verse 17. And then verse 21. He who knew no sin became sin. Two of the most famous verses in the Bible are in this small little passage of Scripture as Paul discusses everything. Now, you have, Paul, Paul had an unusual way of preaching. He had a, a pattern, and he sometimes would put the message in the middle of that pattern, or he would put it at the end. So we've got to go to the end of the passage in verses 18 through 21 to see where we're going, okay? Now, uh, there, is an there is an official commission, and this is very important that you understand this, okay? In verses 20 and 21, look there with me if you would, please. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We are, and this is our official title in the scriptures. Uh, this is an official understanding between Paul and God. We are ambassadors. Now, the word ambassador is the idea of an older man with great deals, uh, a great deal of wisdom. He's sent from one kingdom to another kingdom to represent his kingdom. Now, in this case, he is in a ministry of reconciliation. So there's an official commission and there is a ministry. The ministry is reconciliation. Now, what is reconciliation? Reconciliation is God making man pleasing to himself. He actually pays the price. He creates a peace atmosphere where there was a war atmosphere. And he reconciles. You know, when you reconcile, I, I have to reconcile my credit card all the time. Because in order to work for Operation Renewed Hope, I have to, I have to show, uh, they, they give me a little credit card. And I buy Wendy's hamburgers and things like that on it, okay? But at the end of every month, I have to take every one of the entries on that card. Those are hostile entries, uh, okay? Uh, we call them, uh, what, I guess a, a, a debit? Is that not what you call them? They're hostile entries. We all have those hostile entries, don't we? Those things which use up everything. And I have to, uh, I have a computer program that we use. And I have to enter the date, I have to enter the uh, month, 
I have to enter the credit card number. I mean, I have to do everything. Then I have to show them what uh, category in our work this fits under. If I don't do that, I don't get my money. Then I have to put down how much it was. I have to justify every entry on that card. Once I justify that, I mail that in. I send that in. I have a box of receipts that uh, there are uh, probably well over 6,000 to 10,000 receipts that I have filed from my credit cards so that I can justify. And I have to present a receipt. I can't just say, oh, yeah, I did this. Oh, yeah, I did this. Uh-uh. Receipt, buddy. Why? Because I'm reconciling myself to my organization. So if anybody ever asks, my organization can say, oh yeah, he's in good standing. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Amen. We are, God was in Christ reconciling the world. It came not from us, it came from God. There was nothing in us that would make us acceptable to Him or pleasing to Him. He made us yeah. pleasing to Him by Christ in the world. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're trying to make yourself pleasing to God by sitting in the chairs here in this auditorium, you cannot do it. You have to claim Christ. He reconciles the credit card. He makes it right. The balance is this way on this side and He pays it on this side. Is that not true? And that was the ministry. God in the world Christ in the world, reconciling man to God. And we are ambassadors. And we are talking to these people in this world. We are from a heavenly world. We are walking in an earthly world. And we are reconciling the world. Why? Because it says we stand in Christ's stead. I don't care what the Pope says. We stand in Christ's stead. Okay? We are Christ on this earth. When we speak, He speaks. Our words ought to be chosen very, very carefully. What your pastor said this morning was exactly right. We are a witness, either good or bad. There's no neutral. When you're in neutral, you're bad. That's just the way it is. Why? Because He put us here as ambassadors. We know, okay... Why? Because he who knew no sin was made sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So every church, now listen very carefully to what I'm going to say, and please let me come back tonight, okay? I, I'll, I promise you it'll be worth it, all right? Any church that is not engaged in the dissemination of the gospel, reconciling men to God is not right with God. Because Paul said, I'm an ambassador. That's our official role. We go in, an ambassador goes in. You know, the president says things, but an ambassador has to go in and explain it in good words, right? <laughs> the company says this, but a salesman has to go out and make it acceptable to the world, doesn't he? I used to have to do that. I used to, why on earth did you say that? We don't need that right now, you know? So I am the face 
I am the hands. I am Christ speaking to the world. And so are you. And they get the message. I want you to know. And our message is this. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, God in the world through Christ will reconcile you to himself. What you cannot do, he will do. He will make you right. Now, I want you to go to verse 9. Are you with me now? We have an official commission. We're ambassadors, right? Is everybody with me? All right, and we have a ministry. It's called reconciliation. All right, are you with me? Uh, by the way, let me say this one thing. Uh, in this passage of Scripture, it says that uh, Christ is reconciling because all the world uh, is dead. Therefore, Christ died for all. I want you to understand something. I am not reformed in my theology or thinking. I believe that the blood of Christ was for all men. All men. I do not believe that there is any man on the face of the earth that can come to God and ask Him to save him, that God will say, no, you're going to hell, you have no choice, I made you for the fires of hell. I don't believe that. I go from one end of this world to the other. I believe with all my heart, 100%, without any hesitation, that God, through Christ, is in the world for all men to be reconciled. All right? So we must recognize our ministry. Now, why is this so important? Why did he bring this ministry? I want you to go to verse 9. And uh, I want you to look at it. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. What on earth does that have to do with the ministry? It has everything. You better believe that there is coming a day when we will answer to God for every action in the body. You say, well, he died for me. I'm not talking about going to heaven or hell. I'm talking about the fact that there is a recompense. That's what it talks about. And he starts this chapter out. uh, You see, in chapter 4, he starts saying that we have this treasure in earthly vessels. What is that treasure? He's talking about the ministry uh, in the uh, gospel and the salvation. It's all in earthly vessels. And he goes on and he says, and sometimes we are discouraged and sometimes we uh, hurt and sometimes we ache. He goes on and he says, sometimes in this old body, uh, which is not adequate to contain, uh, we even may be out of the body. We may be dead. And thus he begins at that point, chapter 5. And he, he deals with this idea of either in the body or out of the body, whether in heaven or in the body on the earth. Because he says we live by faith. That's what we're doing here. This body existence is by faith. Now, 
This is very important because you must understand when God saves a soul, at that moment that soul becomes his ambassador and we're living by faith. And it is very important that we understand why we became that Christian. He says in this passage that uh, we're going to be judged and whether dead or alive, I want to be acceptable to him. That is Paul's heartbeat. That should be what we want. We should want that God is pleased with us. Uh, if you go to Romans chapter 12, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your, holy, uh, or present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. In verse 2, he uses that same word again. That's the same word he's using in this passage. Acceptability is when God is so pleased because of what you do. He wants to be acceptable. Listen to what he says in verse number 10. And I only have a few minutes, so we may have to pick this up tonight a little bit. He says in verse 10, uh, For we must all appear. Now, it's not, you know, that you receive a summons to appear. That's not what this is talking about. By the way, how does Paul know this? He, he hasn't received a summons to appear yet. He's still alive. He's in the body. You haven't received a summons yet to appear at the judgment seat of Christ. You're still sitting right here. You see, he knows the Lord so well, he knows that God will do this. When you know God well, you know there is a day of recompense coming. We owe him an answer. And that appearing is not the idea of appearing before a magistrate, just simply standing up there and rolling your eyes and going, yeah, okay, I... This is an opening of who you are. It means to be made manifest. It means to be brought to light. God, in all of his infinite wisdom and knowledge and power, is going to bring you before the seat of Christ and you will be opened up, and you will be examined, and you will appear to be exactly what you are. It is inevitable. So if you're sitting here this morning and you think somehow, I'm going to skip through and go to heaven, please listen to me. Amen. It's not going to happen. Every time that we have chosen not to follow him will appear. Every time that we have chosen to follow him, it will appear. And at the end, he will take everything we have done in this body and he will give us a recompense. In other words, if it's equal this, that's what we receive. Folks, I don't want to be found, you know, on the short end of that one. I want God, as Paul said, to see me as acceptable. Do you not want that with all your heart? Amen. Don't you want someday when you stand before Him that you can throw crowns at His feet? Don't you want someday that there will be things in your life that you can offer up to Him and say, Lord, this is Yours. All glory to you.
Won't it be a horrible day if we search our lives and everything that we've done and we cannot find one thing that manifests our total love and dedication to Him. And to imagine that we will stand before Him as this is all played out. Every now and then, it might be good if you take an account. Like I have to monthly with my credit card. Every month, whether I like it or not, it's like pulling teeth. Because sometimes I go, oh man, I should have written on the back of that receipt what this one was for. <laughs> you know, and so I go to all my computer sources where I've done things. And I trace down what that receipt was. Sometimes I go to my meeting schedule. Sometimes I go to the uh, emails and I start searching through that time period. And all of a sudden I find the email where I conversed with this person, said we would do this thing, and I pull it out and I justify that card. Why? Because I don't remember everything, and neither do you. Neither do you. Oh, that God would give us memories of the great things of God, not the poor things of who we actually are. Could we at one moment remember that through Him this was done, and we will glorify Him? Then we come to verse 11. Therefore, look back behind... Because I know the Lord. Wherefore, let me read verse 11 now. There will be an as, a aspiration. That aspiration is that we please God. Then there will be a fearful condition. Verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Because I know Him so well... I know there will be a recompense and I know because I know the judgment, I fear him. That's what the word terror means. It comes from the word fear. I fear him. Not the idea that, oh, he's going to whip me so badly so we grit our teeth and we go do it. Uh-uh. Paul feared that he would displease the Lord and not be acceptable in every one of his actions. Folks, if this church is to be healthy, it must have a healthy fear of the Lord. And as we fear the Lord, he said, I persuade men. Now, we're going to stop right there because we're almost out of time. Now, listen very carefully to me here. I know today we think that if you try to convince men to be saved... You are interfering with the Holy Spirit. That's not what Paul said. That's what CNN said. That's what the local universities say. That's what the modernistic church says. That's what the liberal church says. Oh, listen to me. We cannot interfere with the Holy Spirit. Then why did Paul say, I persuade men? When I got saved, I'm so thankful that my cousin was sitting next to me in a, in a uh, revival service. He put his hand on my shoulder and hit me, and he said, Would you like to go forward? And I said, Yes. 
And he took me by the arm and he walked up with me. Why? Because he was persuading me that what I was about to do was the right thing. Now, the word persuade is used throughout the New Testament. Let me give you one place where it is used uh, that is, I think, uh, extremely important. It means to move or affect by kind words or motives. In Acts chapter 28, verse 22 through 35, But we desire to hear of thee that what thou thinkest. Paul had been imprisoned at his own request to be protected from the Jews. He had been taken to Rome. When he got to Rome, he went and he invited all the Jewish leaders of the synagogue to come to his house where he was living. And they set up a day where they would come. And this is what they said to him. But we desire to hear of thee uh, what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know not. Uh, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. He's talking about Christians. The Jews are saying, all we know is we've heard bad things. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him and into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. Now listen, persuading them concerning Jesus. Very same word. Do you think Paul sat there and go, do you like him? No. He went to the Old Testament. Paul was the Old Testament. Okay? He had it right up here. And he said, now let me take you to this Old Testament passage. And this is Jesus in the Old Testament. And let me take you to this Old Testament passage. And this is Jesus in this passage. And let me take you to this Old Testament passage. And this is Jesus in the Old Testament. He persuaded them that Jesus was God the Messiah. He showed them by persuasive argument. And folks, today you need to go through these doors and you need to do persuasive argument about Jesus. And we've lost that spirit in our church. It must return. We must Reason with the world, the Bible says. It means that you carry on a discussion and dialogue with the world constantly that Jesus is the Savior. And it is a passionate expression of everything in your life about the fact that Jesus is the Savior. The church of God can never understand the power of God until they are among the people giving the word of God. We must persuade that world that Jesus is the Savior and that through Him they can be reconciled as we have to God. And the ambassador helps to make peace with a foreign land that is at enmity with his king in heaven. That's our role. We must make peace because God himself has made the peace with man. We need, as an ambassador, to spread that message. You can be at peace with God. We say we want the missionaries to win people to the Lord and the church sits silently. 
How can we be so hypocritical? How can we judge the missionaries when we ourselves don't judge ourselves? There is a world out there that needs Jesus. If we're afraid, it's because of the fact that we have not claimed the power which he read about. He said, ye shall receive power. Is that not right? After that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And ye shall be what? Witnesses of me unto Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's the church's role as ambassadors. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Every head's bowed and every eye closed. Um, brother, there are some tracks on that table. You saw those little tracks. Could you bring those to me? If you would, there are two tracks. This week, we're going to take a job. All right? Uh, I want you to come up to Brother Will, if you will. Okay? I have gospel tracks. Is that all of them? Uh, go ahead and get me some more. These gospel tracks are called God's Goodness. They tell the story of people whose lives have been saved as a result of our medical clinics and how they got saved. And it tells of the goodness of God. You know the world doesn't know that God is good. Do you know that? They think He's an ogre. If you would this week, I want you to come right here. We're going to pray for you in just a minute. You don't mind me doing this, do you? Okay? I want you to take as many of these tracks as you think that you can give to people. If it's one, it's one. But I would like you to take one, and this week while I'm here, I want you to go out those doors uh, with the purpose of giving a track. Yesterday I was in the airport and met a lady who was from India. And I talked with her. I told her all the places I had been. She was amazed. She had never been to all those places. And she lived in the place. She had just gotten, out, gotten in from India yesterday. And she had no idea. I asked her about her, her, whether she believed in Christ. She said she knew of him. And I gave her a gospel track. Telling a story. If you would, we're going to stand and pray. After we pray... The musicians are going to play, I assume. Okay. Thank you. And if you would, I want you to step out from where you are. I want you to come up, and I want you to take a track, or as many as you think you can give to people, and tell them about Jesus. Okay? I'd like for you to stay up here, because I'm going to ask Pastor to pray over this week, that as we go along, there will be testimonies to be shared. And every night I'll ask you, uh, do you have a testimony about giving out one of these gospel tracts? We must become involved in being ambassadors, folks. We have a good God. Amen. All right? Let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray. If God touches your heart and you're willing to go tell somebody about Jesus, then come. Please take as many tracts as you can hold. If I run out, I'll try to get more, okay? Uh, read these. They're good. One is about a man who got saved. By the way, he's a pastor right now deep in the jungle. We got him to surgery, saved his life. He surrendered his life to the Lord. Uh, we've done two medical clinics in his church so deep in the jungle that we have to go 45 minutes by helicopter. Uh, this is the story of a little girl in Honduras 
Her name is Anna. Anna, her heart was not completely formed when we met her mother and father. Her father's a pastor. And they brought her to our clinic. And uh, we found out that she had a very bad heart disease. Anna needed a new heart. By the way, she got it. Last time I saw her, she was a little five-year-old, hands on her hip like this, and just as sassy as she could be. Her mother was in tears. Okay? These are two wonderful stories of God's amazing grace. Give them out this week, okay? Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that you would touch our hearts. Every head's going to be bowed. Anyone who would like to come... And take these, one of, uh, these tracks. I pray, Lord, that you would bless their efforts this week. I pray, Lord, that you would help them now. May we see people saved this week while our missions conference is going on because people gave the gospel, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.